Good morning. I have my one. Who's your one? We have special guests with us this morning. They love being pointed out. That's one thing, being friends with the pastors. When you go visit their church, you get singled out. Josh and Kansas Corley, our former youth and worship guy, he's looking to take Daniel's job. And uh, we had him to come out and scope it out. <laughs> oh, well. No, we're, we're so glad to have them with us today. And... Uh, Good times, good times. Josh went to Egypt with us on our second trip to Egypt. Um, I remember him, he was working for uh, ProLift, who still works for him. Uh, but then, back then you were working on the forklifts. If you need a forklift rep, he's your guy. Uh, and um, we uh, were, had a presentation on going to witness to Muslim people. Um, and Josh was asking me some questions, and I said, you know, I really feel like God wants you to go on this trip with us. And so that unfolded a series of events, and he actually did wind up going with us on a couple of trips overseas. And um, he came later to me, and he said, no, why, why do you believe God told you that I should go on the trip with you? And I said, because you were the only one that asked the question after the presentation. So... Uh, so be careful about that, responding to anything, as, uh, then you might get roped into that thing as well. Um, we are in the middle of this Who's Your One campaign. I'm excited. We had several bookmarks that we got back. As I was going through the names of the people, this is the one thing that stood out to me is how many different people there were. Just in case you didn't know this, you did not all choose the same person to pray for their salvation. And so... I, in fact, they were almost all different. I, I would have to go back and look for sure and see if there was some crossover, some similar last names. And But this is what I do know. I know we have a several dozen people that we are now praying for, for their salvation. That's an exciting thing. That's an exciting thing that God has made at least 65 people aware of someone that they need to be praying for, for that person to be saved. That is a life-changing and eternity-changing event. And so I hope that you will continue to pray. We have the, the prayer guides in the back. They're scattered all over. There's, there's little booklets in the back to help you, guide you through a 30-day prayer. It's also on the Bible app. You can pull it up in 30 days of prayer for Hoosier One. If you search Hoosier One on the Version Bible app, uh, it'll, it'll bring that up, that prayer guide for you, and some other resources as well. Uh, also, back in the back, I, I provided something uh, called the Three Circles Life Conversation Guide. And, and you'll see uh, the three circles are kind of a, a, a simple way to share the gospel. I love the three. In fact, we're going to talk about it in our evening service tonight if you want to get more information about that. But uh, this is the guide, uh, this little booklet. It kind of walks. It's basically a gospel tract is what it is and work, walks you through it. If you learn what is on the track, you can actually do this on a napkin or a sheet of paper so you don't have to have the track with you. But one of the coolest parts about it is that they have an app called Life on Mission. And if you go to the app store and pull down the Life on Mission app, the app actually has a recording of the presentation. So you literally, if you're that lazy, you literally could take and say, watch this and just play it. And somebody else will go through the presentation on there. But it's there as a teaching help also. 
But it's one of those uh, you you swipe and on the app and it will take you to the next thing and, and, and walk you through it. It will teach you how to share the gospel uh, while also being a tool to share the gospel. So just a very simple thing to use. Say, hey, I want to show you something on my phone. Would you sit here and just walk them through that plan of salvation? A simple way uh, to just bring it into conversation and even gives you some clues as to how to do that. Because that's usually where the hang-up is. The hang-up is is that we know someone who's lost. We want to have this conversation with them about how to put their faith in Jesus Christ. We're afraid we'll leave some things out. I think we go one of two extremes. I've had people who've made it extremely complicated. And then other people who've just said, ah, it doesn't really matter what you say. God will do all the work. That's not true either. It is important what you say. or all that seminary is such a waste. Um, but the you know, the key is is that you stay on task, that you stay on focus with the gospel. Because what happens is if you just are just winging it, uh, sometimes you'll throw in some things that are not representative of God's word. So you need to become familiar with what the word says. And but the more you do it, the more you practice that, the more you share it, the better you get, the better you'll be, and the more confident you'll be. That's, that's the reason why we don't have confidence in sharing our faith is we just don't do it very often. The more often you share your faith, the more confident you'll become in sharing your faith. And it doesn't have to be this super awkward moment all the time. Remember, part of your prayer process is praying that God creates this gospel sharing opportunity. And and He He is on your side. It's not like God's trying to create this difficult moment. He's trying God is working to get this person freed up and their heart open and their mind open to what you are going to share with them. And so, like, I love the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch because Philip is just wandering in the desert. Here's a guy on a chariot reading the book of Isaiah, trying to figure out what this means, and it connects to the Messiah. And all Philip has to do is step into that already, that moment that God has created, and the man gets saved. Now, Philip didn't create that scenario. He's just simply jumping in where God has already opened up an opportunity. And that's what you're praying for for this person. You're praying either you or somebody will jump into that conversation and, um, and share, the, share Christ with it. Now, when we get to the end of the service today, we ha- I have a couple of bookmarks up here. If you want to grab one up here, there's some more bookmarks in the back. If you didn't get one last week or you weren't here last week, here is the deal with the bookmark. If you did not do this last week, or you took it home and you prayed about it and you have it with you, or you forgot it, there's some, like I said, some in the back, and I'll put some on the altar up here, and I even brought a couple of ink pens. That's how prepared I am. On this card, it says, who's your one? And as a blank, blank place for name. It's perforated. Now, I'm not scolding anyone, but some of you tore the card last week. I don't know if you don't know what perforation is, uh, but uh, just... Uh, just saying it tears easily at that little section there uh, where it's little dots across. And, uh, and then you on the bookmark, you write your, the name here. You keep the bookmark, and it's got a 30-day prayer guide for you to pray for that person for 30 days. Now, we started last week praying, but this isn't like some legalistic, pharisaical thing. If you didn't start praying last week for your 30 days, it's not like you're out and that person's just going to die and go to hell and there's no hope for them because you didn't start at the right time. It doesn't work like that. You can start praying for them today. You can start revealing. You can you can start praying next week. You cannot pray every day and pray every other day or once a week for 30 weeks. It doesn't. It's not. There's no science here in this. This is just you saying, I believe this person's lost. I'm committing to pray for this person. And here are 30. We're inviting you to pray for that person for 30 days for their salvation. 
it's worth that, isn't it? Isn't it worth the difference between someone spending eternity with Christ and spending an eternity in separation from Christ? Isn't it worth 30 days of prayer? And so one person that's on your heart, that God puts on your heart, write that name down. Now, if you want to, like I said, at the end of the service, I'll have a few up here. There's some in the back. If you know the name of the person today, if you would write that name down and leave the card on the altar, just if you would at the end of our service when we do the altar call, and I'll remind you at the end, just to bring that card and lay it up here. We will take these cards, this card, and we put them into a, like a prayer notebook so that we can, those who want to pray in our prayer room or coming during the week and want to pray for these people who are lost can do that. Put their first and last name on there so we know who. And then we begin praying with you for them. You are praying for them. We continue to pray for them. You don't have to stop at 30 days. You can keep praying for as long as you want, for years if you want to. When do you stop praying? When they get saved. And they get saved. We can celebrate with you. We can celebrate with you and with them that the mighty work that God does in prayer. And I, I believe he is using this in many churches, and I've already heard good reports from other churches and amazing stories, because the more people hear about it, the more excited, then they will start praying for They will start identifying people at work, start identifying people at school, start identifying people in the community, and begin praying for those people to be saved. And, and that's, what, that's what we're trying to see happen, right? And I believe that's what God wants to see. He's just waking us up to something that's been there all along. But by not thinking of it as millions of people who are lost and, you know, what can I do about that? And just saying, well, I can focus on one. I can focus on one. Because think about it. Right now, I still have 65 names. 65 names. If God responds over the next year and those 65 people give their heart to Jesus Christ, would you not consider that one of the greatest moments of revival in this church's history if 65 people were saved and baptized and bring coming to the kingdom? doesn't matter if they even came to this church or not. It just for that group of people to come, that's a movement of God. That's a movement of God. And, uh, and there are many more that we can connect with. And that's what we want to see happen. We want to see... Uh, we normally have 120, 130 people sitting in these chairs on Sunday morning, 140, somewhere in there. And, um, and so if each of you has one, then if just a fragment of those people, 10 people, 10% came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, what an amazing thing that would be. Well, today we are talking about a story in the Bible about uh, the healing of the paralytic. I don't know if you remember this story. A group of friends bring their friend and drop him down through a roof so he can hear about Jesus. This is an amazing, um, amazing story about people who are just dead set on seeing their friend come to Christ. And and one of the things it helps us to think about is what part do I play in this? When you see somebody getting baptized, you see somebody get saved and they're baptized, you're thinking, that's amazing. But do you ever think about what went into that person coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? In fact, when you think about all the people in this room right now, think about all the people who are here, think about the process that went through you coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you are not saved this morning, understand, there's a, a, God is moving a lot of pieces around you to see you come to a saving relationship in Jesus Christ. There wasn't just one person on the planet who was trying to see me get saved when I was a young man. 
There were a lot of people involved in that process. God moving upon the hearts of many different people and coming into my eyes at different points. And not only to see me get saved, but to see me disciple, to see me become a follower of Jesus Christ. Lots of things that he's doing in amongst. And those were all people who just at some point in their spiritual journey said, I need to do this for this guy. I need to, I need to be a part of this. And, and in this story today, we're looking at four guys who... God moved upon them to say, we need to get our friend to see Jesus. And there are all kinds of reasons for them not to do it. One, their friend can't walk, so they have to carry him there. And then when they get there, it's so crowded they can't get in. So they tear the roof off and lower him down into the place where he can see Jesus. And then there's this confrontation of religious people trying to hinder Jesus from doing what Jesus does. Jesus presses through and does what he does. Uh, and then amazing things happen. Amazing things happen, and there's an incredible story to tell, and it's recorded in the Gospels. And we're talking about it 2,000 years later, so it's a pretty amazing event. Now, one thing I want, as we read through the story, one thing I want you to keep in your mind. I do not play the part of Jesus. Do not try to say in your mind that if the roof was torn off today and somebody dropped him in, that I'm the person who's playing Jesus. Neither I nor any of you are playing the part of Jesus in the story. Sometimes when we read Bible stories, we put ourselves into the place of somebody. None of us is Jesus. The Word is Jesus. He identifies himself that way. We are the four guys. Hopefully. Or we're the contrary Pharisees on the on the floor. Or we're the other people who are oblivious to whatever's going on. But we're the people surrounding Jesus. And so as you hear the story, try to say where we want to move to, where we all want, who we want to be, is we want to be these guys helping their friend come to Christ. Look with me in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Verse 17. He says, On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, We have seen incredible things today. Let's pray. 
Father, I just thank you, God, for how great you are. Lord, show us, Lord, how we need to be involved in your plan to see people healed, to see sins forgiven, to see lives changed, to see people transformed into the image of your Son, people saved, brought out of darkness into light. Lord, show us our part in that. Lord, show us if we are in darkness, Lord, how much you are doing to bring us that, that somehow, some way, that person made it here today to hear your word proclaimed. Fathers, whether it was friends inviting or a series of circumstances, Lord, you found a way to get them here today into the presence of your word and the body of Christ. Lord, may they see this as an opportunity to receive all that you have to give today. Saving grace, Lord, so that they might spend an eternity with you. But Lord, for all of us, I pray today that we would be in awe of what you can do. You alone can do. But we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we talk about getting people to Christ, first thing that you and I have to be looking at is removing obstacles. There's a reason why people have not heard the gospel. And that's because there are obstacles between people and the word. There are some that are very big. When, when we first started trying to get the gospel to every person, if you remember back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, well, by the 90s, we kind of lost hope on this. But there was something called bold mission thrust. And bold mission thrust was the idea we want everybody on the earth to hear the gospel by the year 2000. So we said, let's just push, 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 push to get the word out all over the world. So we mobilized our missionaries and just used our Lottie Moon offerings and every resource we had. We said, we can do this with just enough, just enough energy and zeal. And here's what we found. There are over a thousand unreached, unengaged people, meaning people who have never heard the gospel, people who have never had the gospel connected to them. We realize there's a reason for that. And I'll give you one example. When we were talking about churches reaching unengaged people, we were looking at having our church become a, a, a church that adopted a UUPG, which is an unreached, unengaged people group. We don't, we don't have enough missionaries to get to all of them, so they were trying to get churches to adopt a particular people group. And we were looking at a particular people group. We were talking to a church, and the people group they were trying to reach that was in a village in southern Africa, one people group, okay, just one. And in this village, to get there, you had to come into this town. You see, you had to pay several thousand dollars to fly over this to this town, get to this town, and then you had to have a vehicle that would go through some of the roughest terrain to get to these villages. And the vehicle in that area cost $100,000. So the church that was going to adopt them had to send people over and then pay for a $100,000 vehicle just to get there. Not talking about resources or paying a missionary to be there, just to get to the village. Okay. The terrain is so rough, they've discovered that a vehicle will not last longer than a year. So every year, you have to buy a $100,000 vehicle just to get to this place. So the cost of reaching that village is in the millions of dollars. 
for one village, for one people group. Now, I don't know if you came to our last business meeting. There was not a motion on the floor for us to dedicate millions of dollars to reach a village in southern Africa. So we're not going for it. This church was seeing it overwhelming also. And so after the discussion and seeing that this group literally does not know who Jesus is, has never had Jesus proclaimed. There are no Christians in the area. There's nobody talking about Jesus. We just can't get there. Practically. And so they continue to be a UUPG. Now, multiply that times that one times a thousand. Because that's the same story over and over and over again, different parts of the world. Either political restrictions or geographical barriers or whatever. We went to all the easy places. Even the semi-easy places. Even some of the difficult places. But there are still some extremely difficult places to reach that we just do not have the resources to get to. So when churches are talking about going somewhere, we typically like to go where there's low-hanging fruit, where we can see easy results, where we already have people there. It's hard for us to think about mobilizing and going to these different places. That's why these people continue to be unreached. Now, let me come back here. People say, well, why don't we just reach the people right where we are before we start spending millions of dollars trying to reach a group of people in southern Africa? And there's a good answer to that. Yes, that's a great idea. Let's reach these people. They're right here. And it doesn't cost millions of dollars to get there. In fact, we have not, we don't have to buy one vehicle. We have over 100 vehicles at our disposal that can get to all these homes easily, unhindered. All we have to do to get to the people here who need to hear the gospel is just simply go. And yet, we don't. They continue not to hear. They continue not to, to know because there are what I would consider very, very, very minor obstacles, but they're obstacles nonetheless. For instance, you visit somebody or you know somebody and they say, I, I, I get this phone call. I would love to come to church, but I just don't have a ride. And you say to the church, this person doesn't have a ride. Well, here's why we don't pick up people. Here's why we don't run a bus ministry. Here's why I don't let people in my car. Here's why we, we don't do this. And then we have the excuses. And so that person remains unreached. Those are obstacles. And it's easy just to defer that and wish somebody else would get them. But here's the thing that you and I, this is where the change has to take place. And I've seen it take place in people's lives. I've seen it take place in people's church in churches. I know it can happen. And when it happens, it transforms a church into something completely different. When church people begin to say, I could pick up that person. I could go get them and bring them to church every week. When you take that step, Something changes. Something crazy changes. Because now a person who did not have access to the gospel has access to the gospel. And it may not be picking them up. It may be, well, I don't have you to watch my kids. They don't even know we have child care. We uh, had a person visit our church and they said, you know, the only thing I don't like about your church is there's no kids. I'm like, oh, we have kids. We just hide them in another part of the building. So we, so we, I said, well, we can bring him in, parade him around a little bit if you, that makes you feel better. But, but sometimes people that don't come here don't realize that there is a place for kids to go and there are things for kids to do. And that could just be you saying, hey, we have something for your kids. And they'll go, oh, I didn't know that. 
And all you had to do was just say it. And now they do know. Or you can say, or, or if they're afraid and saying, I don't have anybody to sit by. And you say, oh, you can sit by our family. You can sit with us. And they're like, really? And you're like, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Of course you can sit by us. But they don't know that until you tell them that. And then you tell them that, now you've removed that obstacle. And when we begin identifying obstacles, I have a dear friend, we were talking about him in Sunday school this morning, who um, he and I coached basketball together. And all he would do, on the, we had these long basketball trips going out to these obscure places for kids to play basketball. And, uh, and I'm a horrible coach. I'm just going to tell you right now, God only had me in that situation to reach this guy. And, and so in our conversations with one another, all he would do is talk about all the reasons why he didn't go to church, all these different obstacles. So I had a long time to say, what if I took that out of the way? What if we took that out of the way? What if we removed that obstacle? And he finally gave up. He's like, all right, I'll come. And he never stopped. He never stopped. He's still going to church. He also lives in Florida. He has two homes. And uh, so I uh, buys my dinner when I go to, down to Florida. So see, God rewards free shrimp versus bringing somebody into the kingdom. The thing is, is that you and I know people every day, and if you just take a moment to say, why aren't you in church? Or why don't you come? Not just invite them, say, hey, we want to come. But say, hey, I invited you, you didn't come. Is there, is there something I can do? Is there a reason why you're not coming? Now, they may just be making excuses. And you know that's I know that's true. I know there's some people who just make up excuses. But when they're giving obstacles, try to show them that you are willing to remove any obstacle to that person being here. To that person being here. And and let me let me just throw some general things out that are not an issue here, but have been an issue elsewhere. Maybe they don't want to sit in the front talking to you back row people. Um, so maybe you can identify if you know people who are sitting in the back and you know that they've been in this church for 25 years, you have my permission to go to them saying, hey, would you move up a row? So my friends here who are new to the faith don't have to sit up in the front and would sit, sit do you mind moving so they, they can have these seats? You know? You would do that, right? If somebody from the church came to you and said, hey, we got new people never been here before and they're really uncomfortable and there's no seats available in the front, if somebody came to you and you've been here forever and, and they said, hey, do you mind moving so my friends could have a place in the back? You would move, right? <laughs> now you feel guilty, right? You're like, of course I would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course we would. Absolutely. Jesus knows. <laughs> and if they came and said, hey, I don't have, I, you know, we don't know how to get into the building. Just would you, would you would meet somebody in the parking lot, right? And guide them to where they're going. You would, you would help somebody even if they wanted to come to Sunday school. You know, grab a flashlight and a GPS and take them to a Sunday school class, right? Because that's what it takes for some of our rooms. But you do that. In Luke chapter 7... Luke chapter 5, rather, verse 17. Luke 5, 17. Here, this is the story. He says, On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee 
and Judea and also from Jerusalem. Now, I, I love this preface here because he's saying a bunch of religious people who don't even like him have surrounded him. So the people who really want to hear, who really need to hear, all those seats are taken by people who really don't want to hear, who just dare to be argumentative and difficult. It's, this is literally a Baptist church right here. And the Lord's power to heal him, then the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came, carrying on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Now, these men have heard that Jesus has the power to heal. So they go get their friend and bring him and carry him. And it says, since they could not find a way... To bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. It's such it's an amazing thing, isn't it? These guys come and they're like, we got to get our friend to Jesus. This is his chance to heal. This is a buddy that they've had or somebody they know. And they're like, they are believing that this is the answer to their friend's problem. So much so, when they can't get in and see the obstacles, they don't say, Oh, man, we'll just come back on a better day, hope for something different. No, he's in our village. He's here talking. This is our moment. Let's, let's get up on the roof, thinking resourcefully. Let's get up on the roof, open up the roof, and drop him down. That way we can get him there. They are not going to be stopped. When's the last time you had that kind of zeal, that kind of passion about reaching, getting someone to Christ? It's like you don't stop at when they say, oh, I can't do that because of this or I can't get there because of this. You think, okay, wait, wheels are turning. Let's think, how do we do this? How do we make this happen? When's the last time you went and got other friends and said, hey, this person needs to get to Christ. This person needs to hear the word. This person needs to come to Jesus how can we get them there? Let's all think together. Let's all come together. Let's all make this happen. This is when a small group comes together or a Sunday school class and they say, hey, you know this family or this person, they don't know Christ. What can we do to get them to Christ? How do we make this happen? Sometimes... This is where we all just quit. We just give up. We surrender. Can't happen. There's no way. Sometimes we make the wrong assumption that if God is in it, it'll be easy. It just doors would open, it would happen. Obviously, God's not in this. But I mean, they could easily say that, right? They easily come and say, well, obviously Jesus doesn't want to heal the guy because there's no way to get him to Jesus. There's no way for this to happen. But that's not what happens. In fact, God doesn't do that. God doesn't just open up a path for them to get to Jesus. God doesn't make it easy. God doesn't take out all the Pharisees and Sadducees to make it a simple, lots of opening toward the front. No, there's all kinds of barriers in the way, and yet they press through. He doesn't make it easy, but he does make it possible. They saw the obstacle, and their hope and belief was so strong they kicked open that closed door let me tell you if you when you read through the new testament sometimes you need to pay attention to the obstacles in people's way and what they did to get through the obstacles i mean paul multiple times is threatened with death he presses through 
threatened to throw him into prison, presses through, has death threats, presses through. They just keep going, keep praying for God to open up ways. Let me ask you this. What obstacles have derailed you from the mission? What would it look like for you to dig a hole in the roof? You and I need to identify and remove barriers that are keeping people from hearing and receiving God's word. You need to look into people's lives as you have, I don't know if it's your children or your grandchildren or cousins, aunts, uncles, it's a relative. If it's people in the community, again, people you work with, take a moment and think, what is hindering them? What's keeping them from getting access to the truth? If they say, well, I don't like going and being in groups like this. Well, you think we have podcasts and we have Facebook Live and we have all these other resources where people can and you say, hey, you could listen to the message this way. At least you can hear the word. We, we, are, we are constantly trying to think of ways to make it easier for people to ac- get access to the Word of God. And we're not, we don't just do it to hear ourselves. It's not, we are only trying to promote that which when we're pushing the Word of God. So we're, we're trying to, we want people to hear God's Word proclaimed, God's Word taught. So we create all these different access avenues. And we're not the only ones doing that. It's being done all over the place. So there's tons of podcasts and tons of access to God's Word. And you don't have to say, hey, you have to listen to my preacher. You can can listen to, make sure I've cleared the preacher. uh, Don't just throw any preacher out there. I have a list of people not to listen to. But we want to get people access, identify and remove barriers. They needed somebody to come pick them up, find a way to go pick them up. And if it becomes such that it looks like a routine thing that we're doing all the time, yeah, we'll create a ministry. We'll create a bus ministry. God will raise up drivers and people to drive a van to go pick up people. We already have a van that goes out and picks up people. We'll get another van. And if we run out of vans, we'll buy more vans. But before we buy vans, we need to use the vehicles we have. Your vehicle is, remember that owners versus steward thing we did last four weeks or whatever? Last month, I hope you haven't forgot about that already. That car that God blessed you with, that's his car. You're a steward over it. And the empty seats in that vehicle are his empty seats. So he may ask you to basically Uber for free. Second thing, we need to rely on Jesus' power and authority. So once we remove the obstacles... For them to get to Jesus, now trust Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. <laughs> we look at people's situations and say, I, I don't think I can bail them out of their finances. I don't, I don't think I can heal their problem. I don't think I can fix their issues and their relationships and so forth. I don't think I can resolve these things. I have this person with all these problems. You're not called to save them. We just have to get them to Jesus. We just have to get them to the Word. We have to give them access to the Word of God, believing that Jesus has the power to change their lives. These men did not believe they could make their friend walk. These men did not believe that they could fix all their friend's problems. They believed Jesus could. And so they got him to Christ. This is all we are trying to do. Get people to Christ. To get people to where they are need to be 
And that takes us believing. Not just believing, but expecting God to do something great. Look at verse 20. He says, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, do you think they anticipated that when they were taking their friend to Jesus, that his sins would be forgiven? That he'd be given eternal life, access to the kingdom of God, made holy by Jesus? No. They knew he was paralyzed. And and sometimes we don't have any idea what Jesus is going to do. We just have to get them to Jesus. It says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So now here's a conflict. <clears throat> is it, did the friends step in and go, Step back, you Pharisees! Our buddy's got to get to Jesus! They don't have a discourse with these people at all. Also, our goal is to not argue or defend God or to protect God or to argue the point with people who we don't have to worry about those people we just had to get our friend to Jesus of course there are going to be people saying this is stupid he had another bill to do this what you're talking about is wrong or you got to do this you got to have all these other things and I've read about this and you have to use essential oils I threw that in there sorry <laughs> although I do like lavender it does help you sleep Our job is not to figure out how God's got to fix all this or remedy all these conflicts. But he says, perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Jesus is simply establishing himself as I am the one with power. I am the one with authority. I am the one who heals this man. I am the one who forgives his sins. Nobody else in the room can do this. But I can do it. And that's what we have to believe. We don't have the power to fix these people. We don't have the power to restore people to God. We don't have the power to forgive their sins. We don't have the power to make everything right. But Jesus does. We don't have the power to heal people of whatever affliction is they have, but he does. Whatever they need, whatever is necessary for them to be made whole in Christ, he has the power to do that. And this is where he does not need our help. He does not, it is never a, a question of, Maybe if I had done this sooner, or maybe if we had done this better, or maybe if this person didn't come to the church, maybe this could happen. I I really think that's one of the things that uh, hinders. Sometimes we think if it weren't for these people, more people would get saved. Sometimes we think if this person was a better Sunday school teacher, if this person was a better whatever, or if our greeters were more effective in what they did, then, then these things would happen. Now, those could be barriers that keep people from coming in and so forth. And we try to work. We want to be the best that we can be. But never make the mistake of thinking that God can't do what God does because of those things. When people get access to Christ, when they get access to his word, when the word of God is given to a human being, nothing 
nothing can hinder his power. Nothing. They just need to get to him. I mean, Jesus shows. They, they stand up, they try to rebuke him, and it's not like Jesus is like, oh, I'd love to heal you, buddy. Just don't got enough faith in this room. Just don't got enough going on here. It's all these Pharisees. If weren't for these Pharisees, we see some real big stuff happening right now. No, Jesus says, I have the power to do this. I have the authority to do this. And he does it. Here's the takeaway. We have no idea what Jesus is going to do. But we should expect God-sized things. Things we can't do. Things we can't do. I have made the mistake so often of just selling God short. Of bringing people to Christ and trying to get people to come to Christ. And then kind of thinking, as, you know, maybe if there were better lighting or the music was better or you know this particular person wore better deodorant or this that happened differently that all these different things happen in a collectively different way this person would have made a, a greater impact than this person now when god does what god does he overcomes insurmountable odds does things that we would never even imagine doing let me tell you that's when i, I was eight years old I look back and think, I can't believe I got saved in the environment I was in. An old preacher coming to a little church of 25 people, preaching revival. People, you know, you grow up and you learn things about people. People that, you know, they're like, nobody shows up to hear him because they're like, ah, he's all right. Not the greatest preacher, not the greatest speaker. We've heard better. So nobody goes. But I'm there. Was his message amazing? Was it recorded and duplicated a thousand times? No. Did people leave there saying that was the most amazing message ever preached ever on the planet? No. But he did get up and read the Bible. And as he read God's word, God changed my life. As an eight-year-old boy. People who would have said, can an eight-year-old boy even understand that? Can a kid even pay attention? You know? I mean, this is what we think most of the time with eight-year-old children. Give them a phone to play with because really they're not going to get any, not even going to want to be here. Not even going to do this. So distract them so they're happy and out of the way. I didn't grow up in that world. We didn't have cell phones when I was eight years old, just to date myself. Internet was not something that was talked about. We, uh, I had... In fact, I had every reason to hate Jesus because every time I wasn't paying attention to him, I either had my ear pinched in some jujitsu way that my mother figured out. I don't know, she went to Japan or somewhere to learn how to pinch a particular part of your ear that caused the most incredible pain known to mankind to make sure I was listening, or something on my elbow. I don't know, she just knew these things. She should have, I don't know if there's a book on that or what, but she just grabbed that spot and said, listen, you'd think I would have hated God. But I didn't. My heart was tender. I could sense God saying to me, you need to come and give your life to me. And so I did. On a Thursday night, in the middle of a revival, in the middle of nowhere, I was the only person that got saved during that revival that week. I was the only person that got saved in our church that year. And one of the few years we had anybody to get saved. 
but they did that revival and invited that speaker because they expected God to do something that they could not do themselves. And because of their faithfulness to do it, I was given the opportunity to come into the kingdom of God. And the last thing, when God does something amazing, give glory to Him for it. Praise Him for it. Recognize it wasn't me who did it. It was God who did it. I shared with you before some of my horrible opportunities of proclaiming the gospel in the worst possible way. And God's still saving people through it. Countless examples of times when I would be up in the pulpit and thinking, I don't know where this message came from. And I don't know what I'm, you know, this is, I'm almost like apologizing to God as I'm preaching. You know, because it's like, this is such a horrible comment. I don't know what we're trying to say here this morning. And finally just saying, God, just take it. And then somebody gets saved as a result of it. I remember uh, there being a, uh, a particular event where um, we had a, uh, a cantata. And I made the statement to the church. I hate cantatas, and I don't know why we do them. Because nobody ever gets saved at a cantata. But we'll do one this year just to make you all happy. And so we did the cantata. And somebody got saved. And I was like, dead gummit. <laughs> just destroy my whole argument against cantatas. But you know what was happening? Those people were praying. Show that preacher he's wrong. And God did. Because God does great things. But we didn't say, praise be to the cantata. And we didn't, you, know, you, don't, you don't say, well, let's do cantatas all the time. Or let's do bus ministries. Or let's do tent revivals. Or let's do this because that's how people get saved. When God does something, give glory to God. And always look for God to do it. And then go back and realize he's going to do something else. But it may not be the same way he did it before. He's going to move in our hearts. He's going to stir us to start taking obstacles out of the way. To find opportunities to share the gospel. How do we get the gospel through to people? And when we get the gospel through to people, God's going to do something. And when he does it, give him the glory. Because then, when you lose your preacher, or you lose that Sunday school teacher, or you lose that program, or your bus shuts down, or whatever happens and it doesn't happen like it did, you still realize the same God that saves is still here, still able to do what he does, and still able to accomplish his purpose. We still can see people saved, even without those things. I've seen some churches, when their pastor was gone, actually have... More people come to know Christ than they did when they had a pastor. Now, I'm not saying that, hoping you'll fire me just to check that out. I'm saying to the show, never think it's what I'm doing or anything particular that you're doing. When we are being obedient to God, when we are simply being obedient to Him, God is doing His work and changing people's lives. So as you begin praying for this person Yes, God hears your prayers and your prayers are effective and they move him to do things that he wouldn't normally do because he is incorporating that into his plan. But it's not you that's doing it. It's him doing it through you. So give him the glory. Look in verse 25. It says, Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. 
Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, We have seen incredible things today. This is what we are praying for. We are praying for God to do something so godlike, God sized, that people leave astounded and say, We have seen great things today. And when God's people believe God can do great things, God does great things. Sometimes it says Jesus, when he was in, in his hometown, it says he didn't do any great works there because of their unbelief. Because nobody expected him to do anything great. But when people came to him with great expectations, asking God to do great things, he did great things. And these guys went and got their friend and brought him to Jesus and went through the trouble to get up on the roof and dig out the roof and put their friend down. Why? Because they just said, well, now we've done our part. We don't expect anything to happen. No, they expected something great to happen. And Jesus did something great. And when you and I go through the trouble to pray for our friends and to pray for their salvation and to fast if we have to, which is just crazy talk, I know, fasting and, and just praying and fasting and doing whatever is necessary to see our friends come to know Jesus, God is going to do something. And it's going to be awesome. Expect God to do great things and then give glory to Him and share with others how great He is. People do not want to hear what kind of problems Baptists have. People do not want to hear all the different things. Well, this is we do this or we do that. What people are really wanting to hear in this community is they want to hear about God doing great things. They want to believe He is real. They want to believe He does amazing things. They just doubt it. They haven't seen it in a while. They begin to doubt. I don't know. I don't think God does anything. I don't think God would do anything in my life. But when God does great things in your life, and when God begins to answer your prayers in big ways, when God does amazing things and you share the amazing things that God is doing, they begin to go, I wish God would do something amazing in my life. And you need to look at them and say, He will do something amazing in your life. He's an amazing God. You know, we wouldn't be here if we didn't think God would do amazing things. We are so excited about what he's already done, but also what he's about to do. You know, the hardest thing about having a miracle moment is believing that what he did once, he can do it again. We so often have this incredible moment where God responds in such a great and mighty way and the moment right after it. This is Elijah's, Elijah's moment of despair, the prophet in the Old Testament, is he prayed fire down from heaven, this amazing moment he had. And then he goes and hides in the wilderness for fear of losing his life. And you think, how? It's like, that's what we all do. We have this amazing God moment. And it's like, well, that'll never happen again. That's, that's just the enemy. Get it in your head. Friend, what he has done, he will do again and again and again. Because he's God and he's on a mission to reach our community. He wants to reach our community. He just wants us to believe he can reach our community. He's given you the name of a person and he doesn't want you to save the person or heal the person or change the person. He just wants you to believe that he can. 
But here's the invitation. Today, I just want us to pray for our one that they would hear the gospel. Pray for our one that they would hear the gospel. And then pray for the opportunity and the strength that we would share. I'm going to bring these down here. This and this and these ink pens. And if you already have a card and you want to bring it up here and write it down there, but if you want to come and write somebody's name down, there's an ink pen there and a couple of cards. There's an ink pen here and a couple of cards. But if you already have one filled out, come and bring it if you have it. If you've already filled one out and turned it in, if you come and pray for them, pray for yourself that you would have the strength to share the gospel with them. That you would learn the gospel. If you don't know how to share the gospel, then get that training. Learn how to do it. I had to do that. I had to learn how to share the gospel. I wasn't born with that ability. People had to teach me how to do it. I learned how to do it so I could then share the gospel with others. And had the opportunity to do that. And God has done amazing things with that over the years. I have every intention of sharing the gospel with my one. And when I pray for my one, I think I'm an emotional preacher. And I don't think I'm an emotional preacher. But I get so emotional when I think about it. But when I pray for my one, I get excited. Because I absolutely believe that when they hear the gospel, they'll say yes. I believe it praying that the obstacles will get taken out of the way and have the clarity the moment the opportunity to share it and I'm excited about that opportunity and I pray you are too and if you're afraid or scared then come and pray ask God to take those fears away that's what he asks us to do come to him lay that burden down He'll, he will make give you the courage that you need to share the gospel I have one card that came last week It may be you. Probably is. But it says myself. That means there's somebody here that doesn't know him, that isn't confident that if they died today, they would spend an eternity with him in heaven. Someone in our midst. And I just want you to know if you're that person whether they come forward or to do it or don't come forward to do it. I hope you'll come forward to do it. But if you don't come forward, I get that too. But I'm at inviting you. Would you come pray for this person to be saved? I'm going to stand here. I'm going to stand right here in this spot. I want to, if you don't know how you can know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I will share that with you today. I do, I do know that. I know the gospel. I do know how to tell you how you can know 100% that you're going to spend eternity with Christ. And I want you to know this. It doesn't matter what you've done. That no matter where you've been, no matter where you came from, God has the power to save anybody. And he wants to save you today. He does not want you to leave this place doubting that you will be in eternity with him. He wants you to know that he loves you. And he wants you to know his saving grace. If you'll just come talk to me today, I'll share that with you. And the rest of you. I want you to pray for this person today. Pray for your one. Pray for this person. Pray for you to have the boldness to share the gospel also. As we pray. Father, we just thank you, God.